Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome back to the School of Last podcast. Rick Roberts here again. This week, another episode of the podcast on site in Washington, D.C. during the National Speakers Association Conference. And I'm happy because a few months ago, I talked with Wayne Manigo from the Washington, D.C. Writers Group. He's a great comic. And we did a phone conversation that was chock full of great stuff, but we got the audio. We couldn't really work with it. It's mostly my fault because I was on my cell phone <laughs> with like two little dots. So I found out we're going to be in D.C. That's exactly where Wayne's from. So we got him right here live. How's it going, buddy? It is going fantastic. I'm actually glad you reached out and made it here. I mean, what better place to do it than at the Speakers Conference? Yeah, it's amazing being around. It's funny because I did comedy for probably 21 years before I joined this association. Uh-huh. And it was amazing how much I did not know about pitching myself to clients, marketing, branding, you name it. At the first, like we were just talking a second ago, the first hour of the conference, I'm like, this is worth every penny. And then everything else was gravy from there on out. And every year it's the same way. And this is your first conference yep, to attend, huh? And even when I started telling people, hey, I'm not a public speaker yet. I'm a comedian. I'm learning to how to become a public speaker. And they would direct me to every humorist and everyone who's gone the path that I want to go. You couldn't ask for a better resource than that. Yeah, and there's a lot of good networking opportunities here and all that other stuff as well. But I think one thing that's really cool about what you do here in D.C. is it's the writer's group which meets every Monday. Mm-hmm. And you guys really help each other. I know in different communities there's little versions of this but i think you guys have it a whole nother level so tell us a little bit about uh, what you guys do here in dc hopefully that people listening can kind of duplicate it in some sort of fashion in their towns sure sure Um, when we started out it was uh myself and uh my partner mandy dalton uh when i say partner i mean you know the person that helped me co-founded not my partner like hey that's my partner partner." (laughs) exactly you're not gonna marry a clown right i'm not gonna marry anybody (laughs) what woman wants me for life (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) no but what we did was um one day we were um we just kind of ran into each other at the open mic scene and uh the first time i met mandy i thought she was a joke thief because every time I saw her at an open mic, she always had a notebook open. And I went up and I confronted her and I asked her, are you a joke thief? And she explained, no, no, I'm just writing down possible tags that if comics want to hire me for future stuff, then I show them what I can do with their material. And so we got to talking and then we discovered that there were a lot of writing groups in D.C., but there were no writing groups dedicated to comedy. Gotcha. So when we started, we started in the back of a spot that's now gone called Duffy's. And it was just five people in the back of a room. We didn't even know what we were doing at the time. We just knew we were going to write comedy-related stuff. And so the initial meetings, we started by just comparing comedy movies, comedy styles. It wasn't until that sixth or maybe seventh week when we said, wait, we should do some actual writing. Right. So when we got to that point, we had to come up with a structure. We kind of took the structure from other writing groups where, like, you assign certain things. So now we've gotten to the point where we've got the format where we'll come in, we'll do an icebreaker introductions, we'll assign one or two writing assignments, and then we open up the floor to people who want to do their own thing. So if you've come in with material that you want to workshop, then we give you the chance to present that, and then we'll give you feedback based on it. And the key thing about the group is that not everyone in the group is a comedian. Mm -hmm. So the beauty about that is that you're kind of performing for a real audience, but this is an educated audience that understands humor. 
Gotcha. So if your joke falls flat, they won't just go, you know, be quiet. They'll explain why. Like, you know, I saw it coming or maybe it was too wordy. You were speeding it up. And we're not judging performance. We're just helping them to create better material. We tell people we're probably the best spot to go to before you go to an open mic mm-hmm. because, you know, it might have worked in certain in certain circumstances within our group. And then that same key we say, but don't think that everything we judge is right because we're not right. The audience will tell you if you're funny or not. Right, but you're a nice testing ground for them. Exactly. So uh, back up and give me an example of like an icebreaker you guys would do. Uh, wow, one off the top of my head. Um, pick your... Give us a color of your shirt and the object to your left, and that's your superhero name or something like that. Okay. Or uh, something. What did we do last week? Normally, I have like a whole book in front of me, um, but I kind of write those out in advance because that one just sucked. So <laughs> <laughs> but also, it's something where you just kind of like on the spot stand up and say something. And just, right. Like just, tell us the name of the worst movie you've ever saw mm-hmm. or something where like, you know, the worst meal you've ever cooked or something where like, you know, it's just so that you say your name and just something about you. And there's no pressure. It's just like a friendly introduction. And you know what I like about that is it gets people who are maybe a little bit shy or kind of standoffish to actually participate. And if you can get them in that habit early then they'll repeat that often, right? Exactly, because once we get down to the writing portion, we tell people, especially the new members, you don't have to share what you've written, but we would have liked it if you've written something. Mm -hmm. It might be something that you could build up later, but at least get into the habit of writing more. So, you know, a lot of people will say, hey, you know, I got a government clearance. I can't be talking to you guys yet. Right. (laughs) I need that job security. Right, right. (laughs) But as they get the notes, then they'll say, oh, I see. All right, these guys are harmless. And so, and then they're learning, you know, more and more people learn as they get to hang out with us that we're really there to help them. I make sure to tell every member when they show up to a meeting, if you came to the meeting and you didn't present something that you wanted to have like workshop, that's on you. Mm-hmm. And so although the official meeting is from 830 to 1030, we've been known to shut down Judy's at two in the morning. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so the metro here stops at midnight and people were like, hey, can I get a ride home? Yeah. Well, <laughs> because we're check still brainstorming out. ideas. That's cool. So, so you do the icebreaker, then you give them a couple of, when you say like ideas to write about, is it how general or how specific are those writing prompts? And and do they write with somebody or just by themselves for a oh while? No, by themselves, because when we do the writing prompts, we only allow five minutes. Okay. This way it forces them to write and think faster. And sometimes I may go to like a book from like regular writers and see what their writing prompts were and then switch it. We might grab something that's trending on Twitter, write five minutes about that. Ah. Sometimes yeah, it might be topical. It may not be. And we try to have those exercises in advance. And, you know, by advance, I mean, like, as we walk in, we know what they're going to be. Gotcha. This way the exercises don't suck. And I have found that sometimes I'll take the, the exercise and it may become a part of my act. Mm-hmm. Like, one day we said, okay, we need you to write a letter about the worst job you've ever had. Now write your resignation letter. Gotcha. <laughs> Things like that. That's cool. So it puts them in specific places. Exactly. And comedy happens because they're... If they're true and real with it, usually comedy comes out of just the honesty of it, right? Sure, sure. And, I mean, sometimes we'll do uh, what we call the fat doctor has this thing he calls, like, reverse jokes. Where, like, sometimes he'll read up a joke and you have to come up with a new punchline. Or he'll read up a punchline and you have to come up with a joke prior to the punchline. Oh, I love that. So it forces you to think differently. And he always makes sure that that he's using a joke you've not heard before. It might be an oldie but a goodie. But, I mean, if he's pulling out jokes from, like, the 50s and 60s, a lot of these people haven't heard that joke. Mm Mm-hmm. So it forces them to kind of figure out Be the process creative. to get there. Right. And then yeah. he'll read you the original after all of that's been done. That's cool. You know, I've, I've done that inadvertently with some jokes where I know the funny thing to say, but I have no idea the context that's going to lead up to it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, just a phrase. You know, sometimes I'll, think, I'll just write down a bunch of phrases. I'm like, okay, what's going to lead me to that phrase? Right, right. And it could be anything. Like here's what I'm working on now that I still haven't fixed, but I still like it. Even in my dreams, I'm a disappointment. 
<laughs> and I hadn't written a joke yet, but I just like the way that flows. I think that'll be a funny punch once I build it up. Right. And that could be a million different things that lead up to that. Exactly. That's too cool. Now, how many people do you have typically turn out to these writer's nights? Uh, on an average night, it can go anywhere from 10 to 25 people. Okay. So it's a manageable size group and everybody gets a chance to interact pretty good. Exactly. Exactly. Because, I mean, we've been around five years now. And like I said, when we started, we had five people. Right now, we're about 1,500 members. Wow. And so, so unless we have something really special, and every now and again, I'll get like a special speaker to come through, and he'll teach us more about comedy. And uh, the most we've ever had was like 40 people. I can't even remember who the speaker was at that time, but it was about a year ago. Gotcha. But on average, about 15 to 25 people. And then what we do is, uh, as of this year, we started doing the podcast as well. Mm -hmm. So we'll take the writing exercise, and then uh, after everyone's gone through it, We'll examine it. We'll examine the ones that were funny and the ones that weren't funny. How can we make them better? Yeah, and if you guys haven't checked it out, it'll be in the show notes, but the the podcast is great. They're very quick. Yes, they're so five minutes or less. Yeah, there's Unless no Unless we do excuse. the special interviews. The special interviews, we just interviewed... Um, uh, John Vorhouse, because he had a new film that just came out. Oh, cool. But John's been a, fin a friend of the group for a while now. He uh, came down to D.C. about three years ago, and he did, like, a workshop, and he did a seminar, and we learned a, le a lot about comedy writing and writing sitcoms and developing stuff for television. That's a whole different muscle, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, John literally, once he taught us the foundations of what's involved in the comedy, we were able to write a sitcom with 10 episodes in less than 30 minutes. Wow. Yes, yeah, developing the structure, exactly the storyline, the little arcs, and he told us that yeah, uh, if you're gonna pitch a TV story idea, make sure to have a run of five years. Wow, because he's thinking about <laughs> syndication even before you start. Right, yeah. It could take off. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. So check out that podcast for sure. I'll put that show notes. And like you say, usually five minutes. So it's great when you're standing in line somewhere and you just want something funny. Exactly. And you guys are really honest. Like I've I've heard some where like you you're not shy of showing one that did not work at all. Oh no, not but at all. But there's a lot of laughter in the fact that you you know as comics you all realize that the just bear the soul. <laughs> Sometimes it's, and anyone it's more funny. Target, just, anyone, there was yeah. a point where uh, our co-founder, Mandy, she actually got into an accident. There was a car accident where she had a little damage to her face because her head hit the wheel. And the writing exercise was, how did Mandy really get hurt? <laughs> yeah, we took that to a whole new level. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and we did the same thing for our friend, uh, Allie Hanley. She just, uh, she's uh, working on the Appalachian Trail, found out that she slipped on a rock and broke her hand. And the exercise was, no, how did Hallie really break her right, hand? Right, right. It's hilarious. <laughs> and by the way, make sure you tell Mandy, I said, hey, um, almost a full year ago when I got ready to launch the podcast, I, I, I didn't even know about the DC Writers Group. I was just looking at Facebook groups that had comedy in it, mm -hmm. and I popped into that group uh, and many others and said, hey, do you mind if I post either you know once or twice a week either a blog or a podcast specifically about comedy mm -hmm. and she was really cool she kind of asked me a few more questions to make sure it wasn't gonna be just complete spam that you're real yeah <laughs> that too and i know some people that, that are following on facebook uh, i apologize for friday when your feed only is 100 <laughs> little <laughs> posts by me in a row because I, I post a lot of different groups but that's how i found out about you guys and she was very accommodating and uh, I appreciate that because it's, it's a privilege to post in any of those groups mm -hmm. what's going on. But that's how I found out about you guys. And you post, like, relevant stuff. I mean, I remember when you first started posting, I think the first thing that I, I played was you discussed contracts. Mm -hmm. And I liked it, and I emailed you, and I thanked you, and I said, hey, by the way, can I have a copy of the sample contract that you offered and you did? And I'm like, hey, this guy's really cool. <laughs> and then as you started putting out more podcasts, I said, wow, they're really relevant because it doesn't just discuss comedy. It discusses the business of comedy. Right. And that's a point a lot of people miss. It's like, hey, I want to be really funny. Why am I still broke? Did you learn how to run a business? <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. I mean, 23 years into it, I'm still picking up tips. But I, I knew that there wasn't a podcast out there that did that. Like, I like uh, WTF with Mark Marin. Mm -hmm. uh, 
lots of interviews with comics and you learn some things through osmosis and soaking in some of their stories but there, there's very rarely an episode that tells you how to do this and you know I don't know if there's any episode out there about contracts besides the one I put out, but I was trying nope. to find things that would help people get further along. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole goal with this podcast now. And it's pretty cool, not only um, that you found value in that particular episode, but I keep getting great ideas from people that listen to the show, like, hey, you haven't covered this yet, so could you hit that for us pretty quick? You know. Mm-hmm. So we've got some coming up about mind mapping your jokes, you know, whiteboarding your jokes before you settle into a set list, and some other cool things. Uh, around the corner, but all those are great ideas that sometimes I've forgotten about because mm-hmm. it was early on in the career, or I just take it for granted that everybody does mind maps, but not everybody does. I found out. <laughs> so we'll be doing some of that cool stuff. What are some things you've learned with the the writers group that you didn't expect to learn, but it's kind of been like a side benefit from being part of a group as opposed to doing it alone? Um, I think the the biggest thing I've learned was how to become an actual writer, and by doing that, what I mean is that. I really didn't have the discipline of a writer, and I had to learn that I can take thoughts, jot them down, and make them funny later. As long as I'm writing something, I've got something to go back and fall on. And that was something that Daryl Littleton, he's a comic out in L.A., he's been around for like 25 years. He did, uh, he did several books. He's got like seven books on comedy, and he was the first guy I interviewed for comedy. He was the one that told me, write down everything, throw away nothing. Mm-hmm. So once I learned how to become a writer, and then it was also something the fat doctor told me. He said, in order to be a, uh, a good comedy writer, you must first learn how to be a writer. Right. So this stuck in my head. And I, while working with the group, you're never alone. And as long as you're not afraid to express, you know, because you have to have people who will support you. Because it's going to suck. I realized when we all started, we all suck. No right. one wants to admit it. <laughs> but it takes a certain amount of time before you actually get better at it. So doing it with the group, it gave me the courage to try new things. And not only that, it gave me the courage to experiment with formats I wasn't familiar with. When I learned how to write a sitcom prior to John coming to visit the group, we had a member who said, hey, I'm trying to do this thing for public access. I want to learn how to write a sitcom. And we had a breakout group, and we learned how to write a sitcom. There was another group that wanted to learn how to do more sketch comedy. So, And again, we only meet Mondays from 8.30 to 10.30, so that's a limited amount of time to do something that's outside of our usual format. Right. But after 10.30, we hang out and do these other things. And then we've had people like go, hey, instead of like waiting late because I've got a day job, let's meet on Saturdays and try this concept and format. And I learned that as well. Um, but most importantly, I've learned that talking to other people about your ideas, especially people who are smarter than you, right. will only make you smarter and funnier if they're funnier than you. Or you've got like that chemistry where you both can bounce off each other, you know, certain ideas. Give you a perfect example of that. I went to a friend's uh, wedding down in uh, Mardi Gras early this year, and I knew the jokes that I was, I was going to make about him. I was going to focus on the fact that he couldn't cook, that he loves Mardi Gras, and that he really doesn't listen to his girlfriend. Well, fiance at the time. Mm-hmm. So I called up one of my comedy buddies and I explained that, you know, this is what I'm going to make fun of. I read some jokes to him. He read them back to me, some of the things that we punched up. And by the time I did it at the wedding, every joke landed. Nice. And that was the importance of having like a comedy buddy. Right. And I've got several friends like that that I've got in the group where I'm like, hey, um, are you available? Because this is what I'm trying to do. So I've learned to experiment with a lot of different writing styles and structures. And I'm not afraid to take chances now because I've got a number of people who are willing to help me. Yeah, it's awesome. I like having a group like that because the the ideas they have, you would have never come up with. And that makes it ten times funnier when you say it. Oh, absolutely. And so many people are, you know, I was this way for a long time. Like if I didn't write it word for word and it was only my my vision of the joke, I wasn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. And you know, recently I've spent more time co-writing with people and bouncing ideas off of each other. And it's so great that they can take it places that I would have never thought of. Mm-hmm. And the audience is like, how did he get there? That's not, that wouldn't even make sense, you know, almost coming out of him. But it does make sense because it's funny. Like, it's so fun to 
to let somebody else tinker with it a little bit. Sure. And actually to hear it, even to hear somebody read it back, they'll just naturally pause in a different place and it changes the meaning of the joke sometimes. Yeah. And where yeah. it can go. So you, you guys that listen regularly know I'm a big fan of meeting and up with other people and writing. And that's what I love about D.C. because it sounds like everybody, regardless of what level they're at, has either participated or still is participating and coming back and giving back. Yes, yes. And we tell people, we know you can't make it every week. Everyone's got different lives and different schedules. But whenever you come back, there's no expectations like, so where you been and what have you written? Mm -hmm. It's more like, hey, welcome back. Do you have something you want to break in? So we tell people there's never any pressure. We're there when you want us to be there. And so when people fall off, no matter what happens, we're there every Monday. With the exception of like Christmas and I think New Year's. I think we took off New Year's as well. Because we tried to take off holidays and people were like, why? Yeah, it's like their place to be, right? Yeah, and we talk, as long as two people show up, we've got a meeting. That's cool. And I, I guess I should have asked, I assume there's like a performance space or a microphone there, or do you guys just nope, get up? No, we just sit at a round table. Gotcha. So there's this, it's even more natural delivery. Exactly. Because no one, I mean, we're, it's still in the part of building and writing the joke. We want mm-hmm. you to perform it in front of a live audience. Again, we're not the audience. So you might walk out overconfident because you wrote it with us. You go out and it may fall flat because it didn't hit what you thought an audience would like. Right. We can only coach and, and provide like so much help. It's still the audience that'll tell you. If yeah, you're there's nothing like not. the test drive to, f- to really know how the thing's rolling along. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Now I want to touch on a couple other things while I've got you here. Sure, sure. And you can feel free to talk as much or as little about either one. Um, the first thing is that you blog for a, a few different things online. Yep, yep. Uh, my main thing is Stage got into Time that. Magazine. This was kind of funny. Uh, when I got into Stage Time Magazine. Um, I found them by submitting one of my videos asking for feedback and review. And I was still a brand new comic, so it was probably my seventh or eighth performance. And it was the best one at the time, but it still sucked. I was still still green. So the feedback that they gave me, they were brutally honest, is what you'd expect. Like, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to slow down, you're going too fast. Everything that was great, and I took that advice. When um, they found out that I was starting a comedy writers group, my editor, Tasha Harris, she said, hey, do you want to, you know, write, write for the magazine? And I said, write what? <laughs> and she said, well, I like what you're doing, anything you want. So I came up with the concept of addicted to comedy. And I kept it open that way because this way I'm not limiting myself to just stand up. Right. I'm like, I can cover anything that's comedy related. And when I started, I just kind of started with what was going on around me. My very first interview was uh, Daryl Littleton, and then I interviewed Jordan Brady from I Am Comic. Mm-hmm. And I started interviewing more and more people who were experienced in comedy. And then I started learning from these guys, it's not just about performance, it's about building an audience. It's about learning how to communicate with the fans. It's about learning how to run yourself as a business. It was like all these other things. And I was getting some, of the, some advice from some of the best people in the business. And as I started slowly building that body of work, I wasn't afraid to reach out to people who I thought I did not have access to. Right. So it's like, oh, I know you're famous and popular, but so am I in my blog world. Right, right. <laughs> but I had a body of work. I mean, the, the hardest interview I had to land was Judy Carter. Because I knew Judy was coming to town. She was doing an interview at the time. Not an interview. She was doing a workshop at the DC Improv. So I reached out to Judy and I said, hey, Judy, I know you're coming to town. Would you mind if I had an interview and I was going to do an exclusive for On Tap Magazine? Because I was writing for them as well at the time. And I said, yeah, if you're coming down, let's you know make this happen. But then I was able to show her this body of work of all the other comedy authors that I'd interviewed. Mm-hmm. And she looked at it and she goes, Sure, sure. And as we got on the phone and we started talking, she liked me so much. She goes, you know what? I like this thing you have with the group going down. 
why don't I give you guys a free conference, uh, a free seminar while I'm down there? Oh, great. And we had 50 people show up. That's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. It, it was great. Cool. So that just was a serendipitous thing that you got into kind of blogging because somebody asked you to, huh? It, yeah. But it turned out to be like a learning program. Yeah. You picked up so many great tips and made so many contacts and learned so much. Yes, I did. Now, here's my challenge with that. Um, I stopped writing for a little bit because I ran into the challenge of, you know, there were a lot more people doing a lot more things that I was, that, let me rephrase that. When I started writing, there weren't as many people writing about the topics that I was. Right now, there are people a lot more qualified than I, like Steve Hoffman and... Um, Who's the other guy? There was just so many uh, connected comedians. Mm-hmm. They're doing like their thing, and they're covering things that I used to. But because I'm in their groups and I've learned that, now my challenge is how do I take myself out of what they're doing and still keep the column relevant and keep it uh, as close to my heart as I as I'd like it to be. Right. So I'm trying to find that direction, and I think I found it. And that's why when we talk about comedians who want to work more than just inside the clubs and inside the bars. And that's why I'm at the conference now, learning how to take that comedy to the next level where you're still funny, but now you're more profitable, and now you're doing networking from it to get you the other gigs. Everything that people didn't really tell you, because there is no school for comedy. You've learned everything via the school of hard knocks. Right. So being in something like this where people are introducing you to other people, hey, here's this person, they do humor, and now they're a famous public speaker, and hey, this person, it's just been remarkable how many people I've met just by being in other organizations. So now I can start documenting that like okay because i don't know where my comedy career is going sure i just know that i like doing what i do that's cool yeah it's amazing to me like it's easy to forget that comedy is a skill that can apply to a million different avenues Mm -hmm. you know that's something that i never thought i would ever give a motivational speech that was partly humorous like to me 10 years ago that would have been blasphemous like i'm (laughs) I'm not up there getting eight to ten laughs a minute and i'm just not doing my job and then but an opportunity came up, and I ended up liking it. Like, I, I looked out, and people were taking notes while I was speaking on time management, and they're like, what's going on here? <laughs> but I got to be funny in a different way, and it was definitely a, a new revenue stream and a new way to keep my family fed, mm-hmm. you know, and all those kinds of things. So I stay home longer. <laughs> you can. You, you know, you don't have that pressure. You know, for me initially, it was like, you know what? If I just do one of these speaking gigs a month, that's like six one-nighters I don't have to go out and do. Oh, yeah. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? And it's not only just the night, it's the drive. It's the while you're driving, you can't be focused on anything else. Mm-hmm. So, like, the lock, the loss of productivity uh, was so crazy that, it, you know, one speaking gig. It, it took me a while to develop the speaks, the speeches and those things. Mm-hmm. But, man, just being able to get out and get back, you can be so much more productive on other projects. Oh, yeah. You well, know, and, your, and your comedy specifically. Yeah. Well, I started comedy late because I've only been doing it seven years and uh, I'll be 50 this year. And one of the things that I decided to do, and this is kind of those things I'm like, ooh, I wish I'd known better, is when I decided that I was gonna do comedy, I learned that I wanted to learn as many things as I could as fast as I could. And it forced me to the point where I was living in my car for a That's year. That's the other thing I was going to ask you about. Oh, yeah. What led to that? And oh, yeah. Survival. We want some survival tips. Yeah. Well, the, Any of that stuff you're willing to share. Yeah, yeah, I share it all. The biggest thing that I learned is that, you know, I wanted to be dedicated because, like I said, yeah, there was a lot of reading that had to be done. There was a lot of performance, stage time, writing. And I was booking my own shows. So I had to deal with managers. I was looking for new venues. And the amount of money that I made was just enough to cover the bare essentials, the the food, the, uh, the the car insurance, the cell phone, and very little after that. So when I realized I wasn't able to pay rent, but I still wanted to do comedy, I thought, hmm, I wonder if I can pull this off. And, you know, the first three nights really didn't bother me because it was like if you do an out-of-town gig and you didn't get a hotel, you just sleep <laughs> right. in your car. But on that fourth night, you're like, 
did I just make the right decision? <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> and I called some other comics who were gone that path as well, including uh, like Clay Miles and Kevin Lee were the first ones that I called. And they were saying, welcome to comedy. If you want to make sacrifices like this, you must be serious. Right. And I went and called like some of the other people that I've interviewed. And they said, okay, well, you know, don't go too crazy with it. So like when the winter months came, my friends were like, oh, no, no, you got to come in the house for a while. But the minute spring hit, I was like back out on the road. And, and my mother was pissed about this because she's like, you threw away an IT career to do comedy right, right. <laughs> and, and the joke that i wrote about that is you know i can't tell my mother i'm homeless so i have to say i'm america's guest <laughs> there you go yeah, yeah. i've seen the pictures of me by the lake she goes oh so you got a job no mom i'm still in the car look in the background <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious so like let me ask you like a you know, you did have some friends that took you in the winter, but were there a few nights where, you know, you had to run the run the car, maybe you had gas in the car to keep the heat on? Oh, no, 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 or no. Were you the winter was the safe months, no. It was the summer that got to be a pain the in the butt. Because, like, depending on where I was parked at, it was like a spot that park in Virginia where you're sitting in a parking lot and it's in a park, and by 5.36 in the morning, all these joggers have just shown up, and they're like, hey, who's this guy in this car again? Was Why this during this the time of the D.C. sniper? Were you ever, like, anybody? Oh, no, that was way ago. No, I'm talking, like, three years ago. Okay, so <laughs> no, D.C. sniper was back way, way before that <laughs> no but the, the challenge was you know showing uh, a friend of mine gave me the best note ever he goes if you're going to be homeless don't look homeless right. especially if you're in the entertainment industry so you know i'd get up i'd find like a gas station shower up go to starbucks shower up you know being in the military you learn field hygiene sure so staying clean was kind of easy to do and it was also one of the most motivational points in my life because as soon as i woke up i opened up the door I'm at work. Right. <laughs> right. And so I'd start at McDonald's and do, you know, rip out my laptop, do some writing, do some updating, emails. By the time the library's open, I go to the library, do more work. And then at night I had gigs so that I'd go do the gigs, go get paid, pack all the equipment back in the car and find some place to crash. Now, when you sleep in, in the car, like give us Honda night. Civic. That's what I was A thinking. A really tiny car. How did, what? fetal position were you able to like sit in the driver's seat pull it as far back as you can just like so you, were you a back sleeper before that or did you, did you learn how to sleep recline like that i don't think i ever knew how to sleep no. <laughs> but being in the military so to, yeah i slept on lava rocks in hawaii so <laughs> a car seat still has cushioning i'm good right so eventually i'm sure the the fatigue would just knock you out regardless and that was most of the time it was right and then waking up and still being eager about wanting to do and learn more about comedy I mean, half my column I wrote in states, some I wrote in libraries, and I was excited about what I was doing. And I'm still excited. Right. Because it's like, hey, you know, if I said I want to learn about comedy, what am I writing about? Now I'm writing about, like, real-life road experiences. And it's something that no one gives you. You have to make that decision. And luckily, I had enough um, of a, enough resources so I could keep that going. That's crazy. I'm still thinking. I'm still fascinated on the car part of it. Like, what kind, where, where would you park? Like, what, what would you consider a safe place? And... I'm sure people listening are wondering, did you ever wake up and somebody staring in the window or the, the cops beating on the window? Like, what kind of, did you have a few weird situations? <laughs> I'm sure, right? There were a few. I think the funniest was, it was one night where I was uh, out in Virginia, and by then I'd been sleeping out there about five, six months now, so I'm pretty sure I, people would see my car there a lot. If I wasn't, and that's why I used to alternate between Maryland and Virginia. This way it didn't look like it was the same car, same spot every night. Gotcha. But on one particular night, I remember pulling up, and it was like uh, right by McDonald's because they still had Wi-Fi until 1 in the morning. And that's when I'd go to bed at 1 because gotcha. once the Wi-Fi was done, I could go to sleep. Right. But uh, So I pulled in, 
And I saw a car in the bushes, and the car looked kind of odd, and it was kind of dark at the time. So I pulled into my normal spot. There was a spotlight underneath, and I'm rolling down my windows because it's summer, and I'm whipping out a book, and I'm reading a book, and I've got a flashlight in the car, and I'm the only car in the parking lot outside of this other car. Well, then comes this truck making a delivery for McDonald's, headlight flashing full blast, and I can see it's a police car watching me in the bushes. (laughs) So once the truck pulls up, and I saw the cop car, and I just kind of waved at him and went back to read my book. I'm not breaking the law. I'm right. sleeping in the car. Because he thought maybe I'm, you know, I'm, maybe he's drinking in the car or smoking weed or something. I don't smoke weed and I'm not drinking in my car. That's sort of illegal. Right, right. <laughs> I might be living in the car, but I'm not that homeless. I mean, because, <laughs> well, I didn't make it funny to buy beer anyway. So. Right, right. <laughs> it's like beer's not enough. Beer or Chef Boyardee. Gotta eat. Gotta eat those raviolios, man. <laughs> and so I've eaten them Did cold he talk out to the you, can. the police officer? No, no, he no? just pulled out. Maybe he said, hey, this guy's cool. Yeah, well, yeah. And, I just, and that's why you keep alternating. You never want to be in the same spot too long. Right. Right. Because, I mean, this, this is kind of a really expensive part of town, which is why I knew I'd be safe. You're not going to find me parked in, like, a Virginia hood. I don't think I'd wake <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was concerned about. Like, I, I knew and you're definitely. No, the, definitely in the suburbs. Always in the suburbs. Gotcha. Well, the other thing at the time was my D.C. place were expired. I didn't make enough money to, like, pay off my tickets and Ooh. renew. So if I drove to D.C., they would have confiscated the car. Gotcha. So I had to stay remote. So you couldn't be in the city limits? No. And so no. at that time with the riding group, were you in the riding group at that time? Or was that oh, yeah. I'd park the car and take the metro in. Okay. Yeah. In fact. Uh, You're resourceful, eh? Very. <laughs> <laughs> no one knew about the homelessness until my third birthday comedy roast. And, you know, I told them, we pull no punches. You can talk about my mama. You can talk about me being homeless. And the group was like, wait, wait, when were you homeless? I said, oh, until Monday. <laughs> and because by then I just got an apartment because I'd started school and I needed to be online a lot more frequently to take these online classes. And so the group scrapped half the jokes that they wrote to write brand new jokes about me being homeless. Wow. <laughs> And they were great because uh, my friend Mike Black had one that I loved. He goes, Wayne's got a laptop, a cell phone, and a car. Doesn't that make him the 1% of homeless? The <laughs> <There you> 1%er. <go. laughs> yeah, or they slam me. But I tell them to do that every year. And that's another thing. I don't mind being a target because I wanted people at the time when I started my birthday comedy roast to learn how to write roasting material. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? If you've got a target that you know and you, and you know he's cool with it, you can write anything you want. That's pretty cool. Well, man, Wayne, it's a it's a wide variety of experiences you've had in a fairly short amount of time. Yeah. And so, what what is your short term, and then I guess your short term is learning more about positioning yourself for corporate comedy and those opportunities. Absolutely. I mean, I've I've looked at all the experiences I've had, you know, writing for stage time. I want to take that material and turn it into a book. Mm -hmm. Um, Learning from the people that I've met at this meeting. want to see how fast I can get that business off. Um, I've written a couple of workshops that I kind of want to get off the ground. We've been playing with a television show for a bit now because now I've got access to public access equipment. So I'm going to shoot that as well as a pilot, submit that to the New York Television Film Festival. There's just a lot of things that I've been working on that now I've got the resources that I can actually do them. That's awesome. So we'll throw them all to the wall and see which one sticks. That's awesome. Well, everybody listening out there, we're, I know you're on Twitter. Yep, yep, yep. I'm at Wayne Man Comedy. And our Twitter account for the DC Comedy Writers Group is at sign DC Comedy Writers. Okay, DC Comedy Writers. And the podcast they can find on iTunes for sure. Uh, yep, it's Stitcher on iTunes, well. Stitcher, and also Podbean. Podbean. Yes, I'm we, not on we there. covered. Yeah, why not? I don't know. I'll Does it automatically go there? Or do I have to? I'm not Submit. sure. John Quinn is the one that came up with the, the podcast idea. Because here's what we do with the members. We say, guys, we're willing to help you with anything. In fact, we have a project meeting once a month so that if people want to do something outside of our regular meeting time, we'll see if we can help you get that done. So when John Quinn came up with the idea for the podcast, 
Um, and Mandy, Mandy suggested initially, I think, and John's like, I'll take the helm on this. And he's been doing a fabulous job. John walked in one day with a room full of equipment for podcasting. We're like, ooh, you were serious. Yeah, well, it's, it, you guys have to go check it out. It'll be in the show notes so you can just click over there and subscribe. And definitely subscribe so you get them. They're only five minutes. I mean, you can knock out 20 of these suckers exactly. in an hour, short drive. You can brush your teeth and play this podcast Yeah, if you floss. You can floss. Brush and floss. The pacing of it is great. It's it's well edited, heavily edited. You know, you get right yes. to it and it moves along so you'll feel like you just like fast forwarded through an entire movie in five minutes but you can get all the good parts exactly exactly that's cool well wayne thank you so much for taking time the second time to get this right on the podcast Uh, no problem at all at least we made this one i actually did an interview with connected comedians it was like episode number four and someone's hard drive crashed so no we never went back and re-recorded that one oh man (laughs) so we know this one's gonna go through and by the way let me plug uh the dc comedy writers website yes dccomedywriters.com and you can find me at waynemanigo.com um, W-A-Y-N-E Man I Go, go. M-A-N-I-G-O dot com Alright, I'm going to go now too going to go find me a salad somewhere <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thanks you guys for listening and we'll thanks, talk guys. to you next time Take care Thanks Wayne Ciao. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.